0: This is Dissecting Dragons, a speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers, by writers and readers. Hello, and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan.
1: And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, the old family business, gangster witches and legacy monster hunters.
0: (laughs) So, um, (laughs) this week is literally just an excuse for uh, Jules to talk about her new favourite trope.
1: (laughs) Basically, yeah. (laughs) It's not a new trope. Um, There's definitely been examples of, like, you know, mafia families and things incorporating stuff like magic and witchcraft in the past. However, there's been an explosion in fiction of this trope recently, partly as part of the whole romanticy you know renaissance um but partly in general to do with sort of paranormal investigation and stuff as well Hmm. and honestly i'm really here for it i'm really enjoying this sort of um fantasy witch families depicting you know them involved in turf wars and general gangstery
0: i love the term general
1: gangstery (laughs) i'm not sure that's a real word but there you go you've got it anyway um (laughs) I think it's a great offshoot trope, um, but it did get me thinking about why exactly we love mobsters in the first place. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Um, And of course,
0: it's not just that, because there is actually a sister trope. It's the uh, the the uh, the paranormal the paranormal enforcement business of some kind that is kept in the family. Um, Often this is monster hunting, but it can also be uh, investigative. (laughs) I cannot speak investigative concern, or sometimes even conservation effort.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically, overall, that's two very buttery setups that have cross appeal over a wide variety of fan bases. Um, I thought it might be fun to take a look at why.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for those who are going buttery, what does butter have to do with it? Just (laughs) check out our buttery episode.
1: Um, It speaks for itself. Okay. And if you're a writer, obviously check out Tams and Tate's book about, you know, adding butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not to so, everything, but not to the... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay, so let's begin by asking what is it about
1: gangsters? Yeah, um, okay, so we've we've got some basic points here and we're just gonna go through and, and kind of discuss them, both in sort of real life terms, why people are fascinated from a true crime perspective, but also why they've adapted so well to everything from sort of historical fiction to World War type fiction to noir, um, obviously crime and now fantasy and why it's it's so gripping for everyone.
0: Mm.
1: And basically every country has their equivalent. And, you know, if you really dig into what mafiosas of various different countries do, uh, it's not great it's no. really not great i mean let's look at let's not look at colombia during the 1980s um but that that kind of idea and let's just say we're not trying to romanticize the whole you know gang gang yeah. violence gang warfare thing yeah. we're not but there is a fascination and and that's kind of where we're going from yeah because
0: obviously in real life you know it, it's not a good group of people to tangle with um And although there is an argument that having organised crime within certain parameters actually helps keep the peace within communities, um, that's quite a big topic.
1: (laughs) It is. I I think it's worth saying that, uh, you know, from basically time out of mind, since we've had rudimentary watches and police forces and things, Mm. there is an argument that, you know, having one big kind of kingpin to an area who forces all the other smaller criminals etc to pay tithes to them and keeps them in line and doesn't let them act out too much does kind of make sense and it also kind of makes sense that whatever police force you you've got um is willing to turn a blind eye to certain things in order to allow general peace to be kept Um, I think there are obviously flaws in this argument as well and it doesn't take too much for this balance to tip the other way you know if you have police officers that are too corrupt or if you have a gang lord or you know a a schism of some kind within a gang family um Mm you know, it tips too far the other way. They reach too much, they're too greedy. And there are definitely times when you need to remove the old one and put in a new one, which is very dangerous. Again, Colombia, 1980, mm-hmm. the Sri Lankan Civil War, where it was like, basically, everyone was essentially a gang. <laughs> Even, you know, they were, they were just incredibly well monetized and well-organised gangs. Yeah. Um, and I think we also have to bear in mind that the only thing that makes in some respects the only things that make an actual gang um or you know a mafia or or what have you an organized crime syndicate the only thing that really distinguishes them is which side of the law they're operating on Um, if you look at some big corporations they operate like crime families except they're on the technical right side of the law
0: yeah yeah and uh, see what uh, i mean yeah uh, so the well. fact that there aren't clear-cut lines really does say something <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean we're better with a legal system but just because something's legal doesn't necessarily mean it's right and just because something is right under the law doesn't mean it's actually just um and that doesn't mean you should throw out a legal system entirely obviously because we need it in the same way you shouldn't just throw out all forms of government just because they don't really fit very well Mm. because you need something um uh, oh and it's the same with the police force you shouldn't throw out the police force entirely you should train them better it's it's a very simple equation you only have to look at what's going on in san francisco at the moment to um to say actually yeah defunding the police is not a great idea but that aside um I don't. Th- I think this is kind of like a little ramble down the track on, on the side of Gangland just because I don't want anyone going into this saying, hang on, are you saying that, you know, the Mafia are great guys? <laughs> because they're obviously not.
0: Yeah. Um, it's not about the reality, um, but there is something very interesting that is going on with the fiction of it. And I think a large part of that is wish fulfilment. Um, and that is the wish fulfillment of being able to act outside of the law, um, particularly because we are obviously also seeing a lot of fiction, um, which is about corrupt governments, corrupt sort of things, or that everything is corrupt, and so nothing is. If that makes sense. If this is just the <laughs> the par that we're on, then you know what? Why get sort of upset? upset about it um, and so yeah we, we see all these kinds of things coming in and so there is this wish fulfilment and there's this vicarious living that, go- that that sort of goes along with it
1: yeah I think it's the I think it, it, if you've had something you know bad happen to you or remember your your family it can make you realise how comparatively powerless you are and there is a there is an appeal, certainly, to this idea of belonging to a very powerful inverted commas family mm-hmm. who can act with impunity and take the law into their own hands. So from a pure wish fulfilment thing, that is definitely a factor in fiction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in I the part
1: most people really fancy <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, most people probably don't really fantasize about joining the mob.
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I I, would tend to agree. I, I don't think that it's about the fantasizing, but it is about fantasy, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. In the same way that, you know, most people don't really, wouldn't really be able to, you know, just cold in very cold blood, just kill someone violently. But we can enjoy... It, when it happens within certain situations in fiction, you know, where, where it can be made funny, where it can feel, um, you know, satisfying, etc. Like I said, I don't know many people who mourned when Joffrey died on Game of Thrones. Um, but that doesn't mean that all of us are capable of going out and and just poisoning people. Or um, that we want to. <laughs> um so i think there is there's I mean, an honestly, element i
1: don't think he got a hard enough death so
0: yeah <laughs> but what what i mean is that you know um there is this kind of this idea that if you feel for, pain for whatever reason or i mean just uh, for whatever reason it can kind of be satisfying to sort of live vicariously through these fictional characters as they are just kind of doing what they want um i don't i don't if I met Kaz Brecker in real life, I probably would not particularly like him, but I love him in fiction.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think there's also, you know, you don't have to have had something bad happen to you. It can just simply be, I want to take a holiday from my mundane life. And then you yeah. get the catharsis of coming back from this very, very violent gangland type um, fiction scenario and going... Yes, that was a nice little holiday somewhere a lot more violent. And
0: yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is that we talk about it with it being, you know, fantasy. And when I say the fantasy of it, it doesn't even need to be a literal fantasy. I mean, there's a reason Peaky Blinders is so popular. Even if, you know, it's actually really terrifying. But yeah, it, it, ultimately it comes down to it. It represents status, power, and money, um, and uh, yeah, and all the things that come along with that, both the good and the bad. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the thing is, we we hear gangster, and we kind of we may go one of two ways. We may think of like the the classic sort of nineteen. 19- 20s to 1940s style gangster Mm. um which were kind of like we dress like gentlemen but we're really sharks kind of thing yeah or we may think oh yeah um depressed areas in america which is a completely different thing really and is actually perhaps not something that people necessarily uh resonate with in the same way
0: Mm. yeah um Dependent. There is an os- and I think in particular when when we talk about oh yes it's, you know if you just say oh yes there's, a, there's gangsters um, there is this kind of nostalgia that goes along with it um, and like you said it was this uh, yes we dress as gentlemen and it's also this weird sort of gentleman's code um, which is co- contrasted all the time but they're actually very sort of oh they're polite they're and then they're not polite Um, they're respectful and then they're not respectful etc they keep their promises and then they betray their promises and so on and so
1: forth well i mean they kind of keep their promises it's just that a lot of their promises are ones you don't really want them to keep yeah (laughs) yeah they keep those promises (laughs) promises um no i i guess since we're in the uk um the the cray twins for example and mm. uh i went to school well, in fact a very good friend of mine her father worked for the cray twins so i know a little bit more maybe than i should do um, <laughs> and you know both of the craze both of the cray twins and their elder brother they're all dead now and their mother played a huge part in that syndicate as as well yeah um but were endlessly fascinated by films and biopics and documentaries and things about their lives. Yeah. Um, they obviously both that both the Cray twins went to prison. I think their elder brother went to prison as well. He was kind of more of a silent partner. Um and people have been obsessed with them for decades, you know, you know, to two of them marry <laughs> they the two of them got married in prison <laughs> for God's sake. Um And they did do terrible things. Um, Weirdly, they ended up also doing some some good, almost tangentially to doing terrible things. Um, But we are fascinated. We're fascinated by the era. And it is the nostalgia thing. It is the rose-tinted glasses.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, And I think also that there is another element of it, which is to do with overcoming discrimination. because And this is something interesting... um, that we see with sort of a lot of kind of gangs and 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 things like that is this idea that some people join them because they have nowhere else to go. And that's not to say that's that's all that happens at all. Um, but if you are on the edges of society for whatever reason, um, you might find yourself being pulled into a gang because there there literally is nowhere else to go. and that is perhaps the only, family the only support that you do have and so i think as well as we get into that nostalgia sort of rose tinted glasses within fiction we get this this element of outsiders people who are discriminated against finding something within sort of a gang
1: yeah definitely uh, now we're focusing today more on actual Actual blood family. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the strong ties of family. So when you think of things like the mafia, generally you have crime families at the top of this thing, running, running shit. Um, yeah. The same, you could be said of, of places again, like the you know the craze. Um, Weirdly, there's there's gangs operating in the Cotswolds right now. <laughs> um, don't know if they're strong crime families, but you can literally find these these things everywhere. Um, But the whole respect for the family thing came right out of this idea of there was a point in American history where lots of people were immigrating to America, hoping for a better life of it. So, 1910, well, actually, 18, 18, 1910 in America, um, you had huge gangs full of dispossessed Irish, and they'd obviously immigrated in the wake of the famine. Mm-hmm. And uh, found that things weren't great. They got over there, and and literally, the when they were looking for jobs, it was no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yeah. So they've turned to crime, or they turned to doing things that were borderline illegal. Um, there's a yeah. really interesting book about a famous a famous Irish immigrant woman who uh, became one of the most celebrated abortionists in New York. Um, providing a service, she actually was a self-made millionaire off this. <laughs> so it's all stuff that would make people go oh hang on the way you've gone about doing that is not not great Um, yeah but that there's reasons for it it's a case of if you do not make place for people then they will make places themselves and it has to be said that at the same time you also had the italians moving Mm -hmm. over there and the, the italians were also being discriminated against um so they formed their own families and their own ties and things you also had Uh, the Chinese, I mean, it's great. They wanted the Chinese to go over there and build the railroads. And then they were kind of like, we don't actually want the Chinese for anything else. We don't really want them settling here. So again, you, you had gangs that were, were forming, um, comprised largely of Chinese people. Yeah. And I find the the whole melting pot thing. Very, very interesting.
0: Yeah. And at the same time as all of that is that while they were saying, you know, um, we don't want these people. We're not going to leave room for these people. Um, they were also opening up other avenues which was these things are forbidden and and but these people are the ones who can provide it like drink like um you know uh like abortions um like drugs etc and so they they kind of basically said we we have no place for you here and we have no place for these things and so those two things came together (laughs)
1: It's like, honestly, looking, the more I look at the history, just looking generally at the history of New York and the waves of immigration coming in, I understand now why the prohibition happened because the alcoholism that was rife throughout America, but particularly in areas like New York during that period leading up Mm -hmm. to the prohibition, was insane. It was Mm -hmm. absolutely insane, way worse than it was anywhere else in the Western world. So, yeah, um, yeah, slight history tangent there. You know how I love a history tangent. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) Talking about this idea of a family that is working together, a a genuine family working together, and despite the pushes and pulls within the members of the family, um, their end goal is that the family will survive. You know, it's kind of like the pack survives mentality. Yeah. Um, And I think there's something quite appealing about that to us, as in you don't disrespect the family and the family protects you
0: yeah but the respect is enforced with violence <laughs> at what point yes, does it often, stop being respect I mean, and starts just being
1: fear <laughs> it's it's interesting you should say that because a lot of people would actually co well, i say a lot of people but certainly if you look at if you speak to some of the older generations or you know you probably can't now because some of them are dead. But when I was when I was a wee thing, uh, was speaking to the older generations, they would they would conflate fear and respect as in you know they're, they're more or less the same thing. And this mm. comes straight out of Catholic doctrine, whereby you had a fear of God. Yeah. So fear, respect, same sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, in fiction terms, this is obviously ripe for something like the sins of the father trope, very mm-hmm. literally because. Your father may be the person who pissed off the people who've come after you. Yes.
0: <laughs> so, with that kind of setup, up, um, we've kind of got to ask the question of, uh, all right, so where do witches come into
1: this? <laughs> oh, this is where it gets really interesting, in my opinion. I mean, if we take the reason we love gangsters as a given... Um, and then we just make it doubly cool by adding adding magic, essentially. Mm-hmm. So instead of just having organized crime families who are like, We're trading favours, etc. You know, I'll get a job done for you if you get a job done for me. Um, now there's magic in the mix and maybe you've got rival crime families who are both witches, maybe from different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And they specialise in different things and they control different areas of a city or a place. Yeah. And yet they kind of need to work together on some things, and yet they really don't like each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, There's, that's uh, um, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's just so much butter right there. It,
0: it is. It's a lot of butter, <laughs> and it's just so many levels of um <laughs> of interest, you know, and and potential. I, I think it's just it's wonderful. <laughs> um. and you get the whole the old family trope which comes with sort of the old family secrets and skills and things like that just um, you know bringing in this idea of inheritance as well both the inheritance of sort of expectation the inheritance of skills etc I I just think it's that's another level of butter on top of the butter that we already have (laughs)
1: I mean, the old family secrets thing is a great one because that's the sort of thing that turns up in gothic fiction. So if you want to weave in a gothic strand, that's quite a good way to do it. Um, But it also turns up in all sorts of things from crime to fantasy to science fiction even. Mm. Um, And, you know, if you want the old family, instead of it just being a straightforward like crime noir with a bit of magic kind of thing, if you add in old family secrets, you're, you're kind of giving your story lineage yeah on some level we all really respond to the idea of lineage
0: yeah absolutely um and tied in with that is that this can also you know explore specific ethnic groups which means cultural exploration cultural lineage as well
1: yeah, definitely. I think that's why so many of these, not all of them, but so many of them are located around um, places where there's been lots of immigration. So New York is is absolutely rife with gangster witch stories, uh-huh. London to a certain extent as well. Although, you know, there's there's definitely a difference in the way that an American author and a, a British author would, would tackle the same sort of subject material. And they're both... You know equally delightful and equally buttery in my opinion
0: yeah Um, okay i i think again what's particularly interesting here is that the different setting also leaves room for the the different exploration of sort of old families and stuff like that because america is obviously very young and england is very old and so how this, this sort of the old family and, and the sort of the family dynamic is is explored will vary. And I think that's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, family is also a great vehicle for exploring the difference of temperament and outlook between family members. Yeah. And it doesn't even need to be as cut and dried as... Let's say you've got an old mafiosa type who's head yeah. of the family maybe it's a matriarch even maybe it's a patriarch um and the way they want to do things is the way things have alri- always been done and then you've got the young blood who are kind of like yeah we're going to take over soon but we can't because the old blood's still in charge yeah but we want to do things different we want to bring in these innovative new ideas and techniques and things we want to work with these people that yeah. you know the, the the old matriarch or the old patriarch are kind of like no we don't have anything to do with their sort yeah. Um, so you get that inner conflict just in how, how the organised crime syndicate is actually run, which I think is really interesting as well.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, and what's also interesting is that there is, again, it, it tends to sort of be this kind of actual battle between what we expect and what we think of as, as sort of old gangs You know the whole gangster um, and new kind of things Um, and again I think it it creates this very rose tinted thing which is that very often you'll see this whole argument of um, no we don't do that Um, we have we have honour we do things with honour we don't betray etc and there's this kind of old sort of no we do things the old way the old school way we don't change and the um, often the much more obviously violent but sometimes in contrast the actually let's do things to improve instead and so i do think it is kind of interesting because it adds this the integer intergenerational shift and change it mixes in um, nostalgia uh, but also expectation there's just so much potential there depending on the kind of story that you're trying to tell
1: yeah absolutely you get family saga as well with it so you know if you're someone i think it's it's like the lineage thing as well everyone not everyone likes a family saga because for some people Mm -hmm. they're way too long but if you want a hint of family saga this is quite a good way of doing it with a fancy flavor yeah absolutely (laughs) Um, yeah there's also the the good and bad of being part of a long-standing establishment i imagine this is very similar to Um, If you are the son, daughter granddaughter or whoever of someone who owns a a billion dollar tech company or something like that, whereby people cannot help but judge you a bit on where you've come from. And I I imagine it's the same, you know, oh, yeah, but your father's a gangster, your mother's a gangster, etc. That sort of thing. That's interesting. Maybe you're not that person. Maybe you're looking for a way out, but it's quite difficult to leave an organisation you were born into.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, uh, you know, tied in with all of this, um, is it is that this does sort of take the perceived sexiness of the gangster setup,
1: and and then it dials it up to about hundred. <laughs> it does. You could be kind of like oh, gangsters, Meh. vaguely interesting, vaguely interested in the Irish gang wars in in you know victorian era new york even though it's technically not victorian era in new New york at that point in time Um, yeah but then you're like yeah but this is the this is the late 1800s and they're irish gangsters in new york and they have magic and there are folkloric creatures wandering around and suddenly it's like sign me the fuck up you
0: know (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely um there is just so much there um that is buttery on top of a different kind of butter and suddenly this is a very interesting sandwich. Um Besides yeah. it's also great for setups, you know, such as turf wars between rival magic families, which honestly is just such a fast fantastic concept that you can't help but
1: just love it. Yeah it's like, yeah, it's all business. We are all people of business. We just happen to be witches. And it's like, that's interesting. That's an interesting juxtaposition because, I'm, and I'm not dissing this, by the way, but we see a lot of fiction now where either the witches are just Satanists, which, by the way, I really, I really do dislike that because I just find that very one note. Mm-hmm. Um, or the witches are kind of like, no, 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 we have these powers, but we do have a duty to use them um, for good. And we, we have a connection with nature and what have you. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. But also what if you didn't, what if you were just a human person who with human failings and you were part of this organized crime family and you just did things for the family? Because that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So we've got a few examples of this kind of thing um yeah. and yep. we'll, we'll start off with the twisted mark by sophie williamson
1: yeah this is one that completely took me by surprise i got an audiobook of it and it's a great audiobook i believe she's an indie author but i could be wrong and um this was so good, it I I kind of went in not expecting much, but I gave it five stars. I finished it in like three sittings and <laughs> I immediately went and bought the the next book and I've pre-ordered the audiobooks. So I just want to listen to it again. And it's really interesting because you've got the main character, Sadie Sadler, who you know, it's UK set, so she's qualif- she's a qualified lawyer. And mm-hmm. she turned her back on her magic family because she right. didn't really want to be part of this ongoing feud between the Saddlers and this other magic family. Who, you know, they're kind of a bit grey on on, <laughs> on the actual law itself, right? And she moved away. Um, she moved. She she moved down south and uh, went for practicing law and ignored the fact she had magic. Then her brother gets accused of murder, and not just murder, but murder of. Um, someone who belonged to this rival magic family and the point is you know that they're not supposed to be open about the fact that these are two very old families that possess magic and people inherit magic etc they're supposed to be self-regulating they're not supposed to be um embroiled in human law etc and um sadie gets summoned back by her family to defend her brother in court but the problem is (laughs) on the other side um, part of the, the prosecution is the man who once tricked Sadie into a bargain
0: mm-hmm. who
1: belongs to this rival magic family who it's rumoured is actually a, a, a half demon and she she cannot help being kind of obsessed with him even though she sort of hates him at the same time so, you know, heads up here there's some steamy shit and there, this is does have strong romanticy type stuff going on as well although I think it's done a lot more intelligently than than just your average escapism type one okay um and she she just basically gets summoned back to the north of England (laughs) where these two these two criminal witch families live and is embroiled in this this legal battle and it's really interesting the way the whole thing's done um obviously her brother is not as as lily white and innocent as he's making out he is and uh, Mm -hmm. the the opposite side are neither uh, are about the same in terms of of guilt or not guilt um it's so well done it's really really good and it was so lovely to see one that was set in the UK as well and also not set in London but set up somewhere near Manchester
0: (laughs) yeah which obviously I mean the the north of England does have a long history of gangs um, so it's actually really nice to to get to see I say to get to see that but you know what I mean To, to sort of see that represented as well in fiction
1: yeah with magic as well uh, I mean she has to confront the fact that actually her, f- well she knows her family have done a few illegal things and had to have done a few things that were unpleasant when they're trading their magic for favours etc but mm. it's just a case of you no know, we have to punish one or two people who don't pay us back as they should do and then everybody else will actually pay us so it's kind of a business thing um, she yeah. discovers that actually they are maybe not as great as she remembers <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there's all that as well okay so no I highly recommend it a lot of people have been quite lukewarm in their reviews of it and I think it's because they went in expecting just a straight up romanticy with the yeah. enemies to lovers type thing that gets resolved by the end and that's not what this is it has some of that in it but that's not the point of these books mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to listening to the second one when it comes out in about ten days' time. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. So, the next one is uh, one for my enemy, which is... Is it Olivia Blake or is it Olivia?
1: Olivia Blake. Olivia Blake. That, that makes sense. <laughs> Just to confuse things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, a lot of people are kind of in two minds about Livy blake's writing personally i love it she's one of those writers who just goes in with a whole heart and throws everything in there and the (laughs) prose is let's just say it's not purple as such because it's not unnecessary but she never uses one word if she can use six
0: Right. Okay. Um,
1: everything's <laughs> very convoluted. It's very introspective. Um it's always very intense as well. Um you come out of her books feeling kind of emotionally wrung out. Um, personally, I've enjoyed everything of hers that I've read. Um and I think I've read everything bar one book now. So I mm. really like her, but I fully understand why other people go I can't read this, <laughs> you know. Yeah having said that wonderful my enemy i think is an absolute masterpiece it is the best retelling of romeo and juliet i have ever read um and that's essentially what it is it's set in i think it's new york i believe right. and it's two rival witch families again and they're both originally from russian extraction so they're using russian names etc and you've got a mm-hmm. lot of the culture and stuff of that woven in as well um the, the bare bones is that many years ago, um the matriarch of one witch family refused the advances of the patriarch of another witch family because she didn't want to lose control of her, her own syndicate, but she knew this would cause great offence. Yeah. And then years and years later, when the children have kind of grown up, you have got the youngest son of the patriarch side and the youngest daughter of the matriarch side, who are you know they they're instructed by their families to basically try and play the other one right in a, in a romantic type kind of entanglement and it god and that, that you know they've been trying to to make a merger between the two families for years without either family completely losing its identity yeah and there was a failed one with an older sibling and this is kind of like yes we're going to pretend we still want this merger but really what you're going to do is really fuck with the other person um but the problem is obviously these two characters sort of fall for each other and then they shouldn't because they know they're technically the enemy um and then there's the whole witch side of things and business and how you can make a living running this syndicate using magic in new york at the same time as i said it's very very intense you need to pay attention (laughs) and the prose is quite dense and introspective, but it's really, really good. And I love the sort of the, the Russian immigration background and everything.
0: Yeah, I that's just that really interesting. Well okay, uh, of course we couldn't do this without mentioning Anne Rice and the Mayfair witches.
1: Yeah, um, not, not technically, a, a gangster witch family, but at the same yeah, time but... they operated so much like a criminal syndicate for hundreds yeah. of years that I felt I felt justified in including them. Um, yeah Look, if you're looking at *The Witching Hour*, which is the first book in the Mayfair Witches, which is well over a thousand pages long, that book technically does everything that Madeline and I tell you not to do when we're giving writing advice. <laughs> it, it does all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're saying don't info dump, it info dumps. When we're saying don't stop the plot dead just to explain for six chapters about a particular part of the family, it does that. It does all of these things. It's basically a textbook on these magic fam on this magic family through around sort of six hundred years of, of evolution. Mm. And for some reason, it is absolutely compelling. I mean, forget the recent. Um, HBO series or whatever it is, because that's that's neutered the entire story. Um, but the actual original book is it's. I mean, you might read it and go, "I cannot get into this. This is the densest shit ever. What the hell is going on?" And you'd be justified in thinking that. But if you can get past that bit, it's amazing. It's a really great book. Um, but the Mayfair witches are set up to be matriarchal all the way through. The way the the Mayfair legacy is set up it will pass to just one legatee who must be female. Yeah. And while the others will have talents and certain as- magical aspects, the one with the most power will be this this legacy witch. Um, yeah. And they are attended by their, their familiar, sort of inverted commas, demon, Lasher, who has plans of his own, obviously, because all familiars do. And they're rich. They are so rich. I mean, they've spent 600 years accruing wealth. They've got money like the Catholic Church. In fact, they might (laughs) be richer than the Catholic Church. And Anne Rice Mm. makes no bones about where some of this money has come from. Some of it has come from slavery. Yeah. You know, she doesn't shy away from the fact that, you know, this is a witch family living in New Orleans and guess what, they did some bad shit in the past to get to where they are now. And they're still doing some bad shit now. They will, you know, if you get a bit too close and you're probing in the wrong way, they will have you taken out. They will murder you. And yeah. some of them can do it with magic. Um, but it is yeah. fascinating. It's really difficult not to get... It's really difficult not to get invested in their story. And one of the things I think that I really loved about it was that a lot of them are kind of, like, openly bisexual and it mm. kind of comes with the whole, like, well, we've got all this money and power, why wouldn't we go for whatever we want, <laughs> you know? Yeah. A bit like the vampires. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. <laughs> Check out our vampire episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and finally, we've got the the Night Raven, uh, which is part of the, the Crow Investigations by
1: Sarah Painter. Yeah, this is in some ways it's a little bit like the twisted mark um and i've only really read the first book in the crow investigation so i can't tell you how it matures throughout the series although i do intend to read the rest of the books at some point but again you have got the daughter of this witch family who's decided she doesn't want to be part of the family business um but hard times mean that she has to sort of shack up in one of their old disused restaurants or rather the flat above it Mm -hmm. um and she ends up basically running a private investigation firm and the restaurant downstairs is kind of being run as a front for some criminal stuff right and it's already there's there's going to be some tension there because she doesn't want to be she doesn't want to be doing anything on the wrong side of the law Um, but again it's her family so how far does your family have to go before you're willing to shop them to the police kind of thing yeah, plus absolutely. magic involved. So, can you actually do it? Yes, <laughs> um, they're really interesting. It was an it, it was an interesting first book. Um, it didn't kind of grip me in the same way as the twisted mark did, but there was enough there for me to go. Yeah, I think I'll read the next six books in the series. So, so there you go. <laughs>
0: That's a, also yeah, UK but... set again. Okay. <laughs> okay so i kind of i want to talk about the whole family business thing uh so come at come at this whole discussion from a different angle because um there's the whole kind of the, the old family business whereby the business is something unusual Trope, um, and we often see it with things like monster hunting, paranormal investigation, or cryptid converse- uh, conversation, cryptid conversation, cryptid conservation, <laughs> um, which we obviously get a li- we-, we get with Harker and Blackthorn as well. This whole sort of yes, <laughs> several generations of people who just cannot seem to stop themselves from getting involved with nonsense. <laughs>
1: yeah basically yeah Um, yeah these families also operate with only a nominal amount of attention to the law so it's kind of like yeah we'll obey the law right up until it gets in our way and then we might not obey the law Um, but they're generally not organised like a crime family and they generally don't have a firm or profit type motivation they're taking on a job that no one else can do and they might be doing it out of curiosity they might be doing it out of altruism or a mixture of the two depending on who's on the team (laughs)
0: Yeah, absolutely. and you know there's several reasons why kind of that is immediately attractive Uh, the first one is the whole this whole idea of legacy and inheritance um i have to mention obviously the (laughs) supernatural because obviously that is a big thing in supernatural is that it's the family business um and one thing that they they had this whole joke in sort of later seasons where they discover that not only are they from this sort of this family of of monster hunters which is much deeper than they thought it was because it isn't just actually that their father picked it up after their mother was murdered it was that actually her their mother was was from a monster hunting family and that their father was from a family of of people um called the men of letters which were this whole kind of like investigative sort of gentleman's sort of club and they have this whole thing where they call themselves we, we are a legacy we are a legacy etc um, and it becomes even it, at first it's an emotional thing and then it becomes kind of a running joke um, and so yeah. that, I mean I think they really hit the nail on the head there in, in sort of th- that trope which people love which is yeah the inheritance of not just you know this isn't just inheritance of well you've inherited a house or an heirloom it's you've inherited an occupation
1: <laughs> and a weird one of yeah, that <laughs> you know, in itself that that's not a weird thing i mean people you know through the centuries people did you inherited uh being a smith or being a baker or whatever because you would learn from your parents or grandparents whoever so you know the whole sort of like why wouldn't you learn to be a monster hunter that's the family trade yeah of thing. <laughs> exactly And um, i think what i kind of like about this is there's there's more usually more of an exploration of the parent-child dynamic yeah um then it's not that there's there's I see more of it, I guess, with um, the whole parent-child dynamic in in the the old family business than I would with sort of like when the family business is actually like gang warfare. Um, Just because there's usually more space for it and it's more a case of well maybe i didn't want to be a monster hunter but it's the only thing i know kind of thing it's like well we'll try and set you up in another business which spectacularly fails every single time every time one you know child of a monster hunter tries to do something straight they end up just back hunting monsters again
0: yeah absolutely um again supernatural is just i use it as an example because i think it's just one that so many people know whether you've watched it or not and it is sam try to leave the whole thing go to university get an education and of course the business would not leave him alone um so yeah and it, it it is this whole kind of exploration of sort of as part of that whether you know is this a choice or is it conditioning or is it something deeper than
1: that yeah absolutely um you know, if you're, I guess the thing is, is uh, from, on from that. It's like, was anyone really in the wrong? Because you know, our choices affect our children. So, um, if you know something that would do you harm, then it's natural to want to teach your children to be able to protect themselves from this. But what yeah. if this thing is like, you know, you've pissed off an ancient vampire clan, for example?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, or you know a rival monster hunting organisation who actually don't have like the cryptid's best interests at heart kind of so yeah. yeah it's like yes you are conditioning your child but you may not be conditioning your child out of a sense of well this is this is what they should do I'm trying to control their life it might simply be an a byproduct of this idea of my child needs to learn to protect themselves because I made some enemies
0: yeah or not even I made some enemies, uh, my father made some enemies. <laughs> it's particularly interesting when there is yeah. this this sort of interger- <laughs> intergenerational thing, which is that the trauma of one son who had to deal with a parent's, you know, poor decisions now kind of uh, traumatizing their own children in a different way because they've got to deal with their parents' trauma, etc. Because usually, yeah, there is a lot of trauma involved in these stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think what what you see more emphasis on than you would in sort of... I mean, this can happen, obviously, in the gangster criminal family type scenario, uh, but the emphasis is different, is uh, the death of a parent and the death of a parent acting as a propulsion either to completely try and turn your back on the family business or to really embrace it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which, again, it's... It adds to that whole kind of... Because usually it's not just the death of a parent. It is the death of a parent, but which is all mixed up with... um, actually the fact that perhaps the parent wasn't the best, but they were still a parent. And there's guilt of, well, I try to run away from what they were trying to do, and I know they were doing the best. And so there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's involved with it. But what's also interesting is that there are big themes of found family in this as well. And it's funny because obviously it's this, this idea of the family business. Um, And sometimes that can start with, you know, um, blood relations, and then it usually then sort of begins to form this, you know, extended family of adopted people, people coming into the family, um, people uh, being introduced who might be kind of actually start to be more family than the actual family you have again i have to mention supernatural because you know it does start off with it's this set of brothers and their father and by the end really yes you do have the brothers but they have this whole extended family including a father figure that they perhaps look up to more in the in the case of bobby singer who's more of a kind of a godparent to them um and and you know they end up with these kind of adopted esque siblings, even children, etc. So you know there's this whole mixture and mess um, of sort of found family uh, who come in, who leave, um, but who become part of the family
1: business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can- Generally, when we're talking family history, we're not talking about something that goes back like a thousand years, like in the case of the Mayfair witches, although, you know, sometimes you are. Um, It's usually comparatively recent. Like we've been doing this for, I don't know, four or five generations, so 200 years or so.
0: Yeah. And it's not even always that. It, It can just be our father started to do it and trained us from when we were little or our grandfather. It can actually be relatively recent,
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And the sins of the father trope, again, it manifests here, obviously, um, in a similar way probably to the gangster family type, where, you know, parents or grandparents have made enemies, or, you know what, there's a family feud going on, but again, the emphasis is slightly different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And of course, you know, it's just a... Yeah, I'm just, sorry. I I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting things mixed up in my head, here, but it 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 parallels, I think, the um uh, the the sort of the gangster side in a really interesting way. Um by being both yeah. comparable Definitely. and then at the same time often sort of embracing tropes but on the other side if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think the, the sort of gangster witch families are kind of like, what law? Um, whereas uh, the uh, the old family business monster hunter types are kind of like, oh, we'll obey the law as far as we can, but we're not promising anything. But we acknowledge the law exists. Yeah, absolutely. The <laughs> gangsters are kind of like, yeah, what law? <laughs> what law? <laughs> We've got our own in- in-house paid lawyers. Okay, let's look at some examples. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, I mean, we have to mention the Belmonts from Castlevania,
1: uh, which is... We absolutely have to mention the Belmonts. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Which is this whole... It really is the family business. (laughs) You you can't kind of escape it. Um, Whether you want that legacy or not, it is there. Which I I have always found very interesting. Um, Because, of course, with Trevor Belmont, he loses his family... Um, he could have just stopped. <laughs> he could have just gone, okay, I'm not going to do that. But he, he didn't. He couldn't, really. He continues with the sort of the monster no, he hunting. just kind of
1: slopes his... <laughs> yeah. yeah, he sort of slopes across Europe, getting drunk in different taverns, doesn't he? It's yeah. Like, oh, and- God, I've got to do something about this.
0: <laughs> yeah, and picking fights. And the fact of the matter is, is that his skills he, you know he maintains his skills which means that he's keeping those sharp he's not just sitting on his ass and and yeah. you know he he has actually maintained the lessons he cannot let go of this and of course they've recently um released a new series of castlevania which is several generations later so uh, it, the belmonts are still at it <laughs>
1: Yeah, they are, although I have to say that new series doesn't really focus on the Belmonts as much, um, and after a promising initial episode was kind of weak, in my opinion. But oh, okay. um, I think what's interesting about the whole thing with with you know Trevor, as you said, he could have decided to do something different, but he didn't, and mm-hmm. that is if you're trained in the family business, and the family business is monsters <laughs> monster hunting, could you just put away your weapons and pretend you don't know what goes bump in the night because i think that's a big part of it as if yeah. you might want to be a tailor or a bootmaker or something but you know what's out there so maybe you can't do that
0: <laughs> yeah and i think the other thing that's very interesting with trevor belmont is that he has never i think he pretty much thinks well i'm not good for anything else he can't really read you know these sort of intricate languages he he he, because he never really got to grow up because well his whole family was killed before he'd finished his learning and so there's one thing he's good at and i think that's what he thinks is the only thing that he can actually offer the only thing he's good for
1: yeah absolutely um another example i I obviously talk about the Price Healy's and the Price Healy family from the encrypted series by Shauna Maguire. But what I like about this is you do actually have two groups of monster hunters. You have the original Covenant of Saint George, who are about eradicating anything that isn't human from the face of the earth. Yeah, and then a splinter group of this was the original um, founding members of of the Price Healy family, which. Um, when actually, maybe not all these cryptids deserve to die. Maybe we should be looking at, you know, preserving them and finding ways to live with them. So, yeah. I mean... The what a radical idea. ...are all about brainwashing... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're all about brainwashing and enforced procreation of certain magical lines and things like that, whereas the Price Healys are kind of like, no, we're going to form a family and uh, the Aislinn mice are going to live with us. They're supposed to be extinct, but they're not. And they're basically tiny, furry, religious zealots who believe that the Price Healys are their gods. That's always good fun. And um, they just they either expand the family by marrying outwards and having children the traditional way which you know is happening a lot at this point in the story or they just go out and go okay we're adopting you we're making you part of the family now and you don't have to be human to be adopted you don't even have to be alive they've got several ghosts they've adopted as part of the family <laughs> And it's like,
0: I love they, that when that's a stipulation. Is like
1: an pulse
0: not necessary? Yeah.
1: <laughs> pulse not necessary as long as you're a good guy, and we think you're a good guy. Will, and they are actually very badass. They will take out dangerous monsters if they if they need to. But they their go to is not like the Covenant of Saint George, where they will just kill anything just because it happens to not be human. It's, yeah, we'll find out about you first um and they also try and study cryptids because there are some that are not at the same level of sentience as humans and there are some that are and and you know they form friendships and then what have you i mean i think the family at this point includes humans obviously but Mm -hmm. also uh, a yokai a fury which is like a monkey demon yeah and um an incubus and (laughs) two two or three apraxis wasps who are kind of like uh telepathic insects that look humans from another dimension and two ghosts and various other things and at least one person who was dead but now is a reanimated corpse but seems to be getting on with life just fine Yep, it's kind enough. of like the adams family <laughs> but with monster hunting <laughs> That seems reasonable
0: um of course uh, i mentioned it earlier yeah. but obviously harker and blackthorne um, as well. We've very much got this. Um, and we've got it in an interesting way in that we have the family thing, um, and we have the old sort of, the very old, old family, and we have the family sort of being ostracised. And then we have um, who are the Blackthorns? Well, they don't actually have to be the Thorntons. You can kind of become an honorary Blackthorn by sort of being adopted into the family. It's not all blood relation.
1: What's really interesting is that it's i say it's really interesting i'm blowing my own trumpet here because i'm like talking about my own books
0: (laughs) no i'm I'm ready to agree
1: decide (laughs) what basically decides you're a blackthorn is this sentient museum in the end yeah (laughs) so it can be like a harker or a blackthorn saying yeah you're one of us but actually it's the museum that has the final vote on whether you make the cut (laughs)
0: yeah absolutely which i I think is 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 wonderful um it is just this yeah listen you're not accepted into the family until the museum has decided that you are part of the family
1: (laughs) (laughs) which i love i really Uh, really love it goes back (laughs) and it's like the harkers and the blackthorns go back to around 1840 um with uh, Aubrey Harker and George Blackthorne and uh, Sophie Dispenser, who was, you know, who became um, Aubrey Harker's wife. And yeah, uh, I don't know whether to out myself here, but yeah, there will be a prequel series because I know too much about them now and I now need to write it all down. (laughs) (laughs) So you'll get to see Harker and Blackthorne, the Victorian version. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: uh yeah i'm honestly super excited for that
1: (laughs) have to Um, finish the current series first but i shouldn't be too far (laughs) um and of course we have the
0: winchester brothers as well um honorary mention because yeah as i said we talked about it earlier on um i would say that there's elements also of this that that kind of comes into um uh, the Castro Saga as well. Um, and there is also elements of it which come into um, the Sons of Thestine with the Knights of the Delphi. Um, so I, I think we're both, I say we're both guilty of it, but we do have this hope. <laughs> we both really love this trope. <laughs> for... <laughs> we cannot disguise that fact.
1: Yeah, we do. Um, okay, so as we as we wrap up this episode our favorite gangster witches slash old paranormal families
0: um well i mean obviously i've got We've to probably say probably
1: mentioned most of them
0: yeah we have we have mentioned them. i, I do love the Harker and blackthorn um element I, I mean i i just i do love it and i i kind of also um have to mention a little bit of because it's not quite paranormal um, but I kind of I have to give a little nod to the lives of Loch Lamora who, who are just sort of hiding on the edge of this conversation um, the obviously the Kamori gangs and stuff like that and um, and everything that happens with the gentleman bastards um, and also obviously um, the six of crows lot as well um, who definitely have paranormal <laughs> people within that um so yeah I, I just think that there are so many great examples of this of, of both of these tropes that are just fantastic but i do love i do love the harker and blackthorn lot um i just think they're great <laughs> and the fact that the museum is the one who decides are you a, are you a blackthorn all right <laughs> accepted <laughs> and will literally boo you out or not even let eerie. you in if you're not <laughs>
1: it's like the museum even decides if you're the dominant harker because if you're not the dominant harker then technically the museum's defenses are down and anyone can just walk in at any point yeah so um yeah interesting (laughs) obviously i love harker and blackthorn because i wouldn't write it if i didn't but it seems a bit self-serving so yeah they're my favorite actually my favorite (laughs) is encrypted by shauna maguire um i obviously love the mayfair witches. i keep coming back to that I've got a feeling one of my new favourites are gonna be like the Saddler family from Sophie Williamson's The Twisted Mark series. Mm. It's certainly after that first book, I think that's where I'm gonna be going with that. Um and I love the Belmonts. I love I think I love the idea of the Belmonts. If there was a series of books literally about the Belmonts, I'd be really into that. Yeah. It's not that I don't love the series, but but I kind of just want to read about them.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um we always ask ourselves like would we you know would we write any of these and the the fact of the matter is, is that we have
1: <laughs> Yeah um, less of the gangster witch thing although I do have god I do have ideas for the like kind of the gangster witch thing but also mm. set in the same unveiled universe yeah, um, but again, probably sort of, probably going side by side with Harker and Blackthorn Origins, so set in sort of the eighteen hundreds. Mm. But that's all I will say because I don't want to promise anything at this point.
0: <laughs> Keep my eyes peeled. <laughs> Very excited. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I think well... will y- people can start to expect a little bit of that kind of thing when it comes to the castrol saga Uh, particularly the the latest book that i'm working on um it's book four uh which hopefully by the time i finish book four i'm gonna start looking at maybe releasing book one so fingers crossed um where we will start to see more of the kind of the family dynamics of these of these sort of groups because they're basically they have the community has a governance of families um but it's literally just right they happen to be the most powerful and so what's just happened is that they have a powerful group of people and they have just basically taken charge because they can take charge um and that that will start to kind of come up and yeah what 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 is legal or not legal when you're living in a secret magical society you know so yeah you can look forward to that uh well we have reached the end of our episode (laughs) we have reached the end of the episode um of course we'd love to hear what you guys you know think who are your favorite sort of gangster witch groups or old paranormal families with the family business, let us know. We're always keen to have, you know, um, suggestions and recommendations. Uh, Before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And this week I have got one for you. Um, Now, the spooky season may be over, but it isn't over because as far as I'm concerned, any time from October until... (laughs) the following October can be the spooky season if you want it to be. Um, And I have been listening to um, a podcast on the BBC uh, called Uncanny, uh, which is... um, Now I've just forgotten what the name is. That's it. So it's written and presented by a guy named Danny Robbins. Um, And it is this... Great sort of series. Each episode is about half an hour long, um, where they interview and they talk to people who have experienced strange phenomena. Um, So, you know, ghost sightings, poltergeists, etc and the way it's done is brilliantly they have a skeptic and a believer um usually experts within these areas where they discuss and and dissect the the kind of the story they've been told but it is the stories are really wonderfully selected Um, the conversation is sincere and polite and it is super creepy like honestly, I really, really love it. I've struggled with listening to kind of true story ghost stuff a lot of the time because it's it's made to be over dramatic, um, and often it just doesn't feel sincere or real or feels kind of impolite. And that is not the case here. Um, it is really, really well done, and I just have been enjoying it so thoroughly i've blitzed through it. i'm on season two already at the moment um and i highly highly recommend it uh to everyone um i do believe you do have to be a resident of the uk in order to listen to it though um it is online so uh, perhaps there are ways that people can listen to it and as i said it's just called uncanny and you can find it on the bbc on bbc sounds
1: cool that sounds really interesting
0: yeah honestly I think you'd love it (laughs) and on that and on that note guys we're gonna say thank you very much for listening and we will catch you guys next week yeah thanks and goodbye bye
1: you've been listening to Dissecting Dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from itunes for more information visit our facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast